Welcome to Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta. Uh, my name is Richard. Riley's away. He's actually coming back today, uh, but today I've um, got the privilege to share with you God's words this morning. So even before I start, one person's excited. Thank you. <laughs> All right, well, uh, why don't I pray uh, before we get into the preaching of God's words? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we get this opportunity to come before you. And Lord, we pray that as your words are preached, Lord, that you would be magnified and glorified through it, Lord. That, Lord, that you would be made great in all that we do and all that we say. And Lord, we ask for your people here today who hear the words being preached. Lord, I ask that you may plant these words deeply in their hearts and that you would transform their hearts for a greater desire for you today, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today's passage comes from Psalm chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please put your hand up and our brother Richard Kapoor, he'll get you one. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's going to be up on the screen at the back um, behind me. Um, and it's a small, short text today, Psalm 13. And I'm going to read that. So if you could follow with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the days? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice, rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Well, it's January, uh, mid-January already, actually. Um, and one of the things that people do during this time is set goals for the year, right? Uh, you know, New Year's resolution for 2023. I don't know if you do that. I used to do that. I've stopped doing that. But this year, again, uh, due to my wife's loving encouragement, I'm going to try it again, New Year's resolution. I'm going to set goals for this year. And recently, I was reading an article um, by the Health Fund, HCF. I don't know why I was listening to that, reading that. But anyway, they had an article about Australia's most popular New Year's resolution for 2023. I wonder if you do New Year's resolution, or even if you don't, if you could relate to any of them. So I'm gonna start from number five all the way to number one. So number five is this. Of the people who participated in this survey, 37% of the people as they plan for 2023, they said they want to grow in this, get more sleep, right? Get more sleep. Yeah, I think if I, was in, if I was one of the participants, I probably would have ticked that box, get more sleep. I don't know about you. Here's number four, fourth, 38% said they want to just make more money this year. Make more money, 38%. Number three, 42% said they want to stress less. Stress less. Family, work, whatever circumstance you're in, people must be stressing a lot. And so this year, they want to stress less. Coming in at number two, which I think a lot of you probably might 
think, or not be, not, not be surprised by it, but 47% said this year, as I plan for 2023, I want to lose weight. You know, eat more healthy, right? After Christmas, you gain a bit, and then you years you gain a bit more. And by the time you head back to work, you realize I need to lose more weight. So 47% want to lose weight. And coming in at number one, which I think is really closely related to number two, is anyone want to take a guess? Staying healthy. That was more like number two, but number one, which was close, but number one, 52% of the people who are planning for 2023 said they want to do more physical activity. Yeah? Physical activity. They want to get more healthy, uh, do a lot more active things this year. And while the world, right, while the world is telling you how to prepare for this year, today we want to prepare you in a different way. In Psalm 13, it teaches us, teaches us of something different. You know, in fact, last year during the Pastors and Planters Academy, the guys who had an opportunity, uh, we had an opportunity to, to chat with CJ Mahaney via Zoom. And we got to ask many questions. And one question one of the guys, guys asked CJ was this. He asked, what's one way a pastor can best serve his congregation? To which CJ responded, prepare your church for suffering. Prepare your church for suffering. We need to have a good theology on suffering. You know, in the book, Suffering and the Sovereignty of God by John Piper and Justin Taylor, they write this, good theology is essential if we are going to suffer well. It will help us persevere during our trials and it will give us hope. We believe that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 30 verse 5. It is faith in our good and sovereign God that enables us to wait until the morning. But we must never forget that often the night is long and the weeping uncontrollable. If you're going through suffering, you, pro- you could probably, probably relate to that to some extent. It's true, don't you think? You know, suffering is inevitable. You live long enough and suffering will come in all sorts of variations and forms in your life. And no amount of good theology, no amount of preaching from any pastor is going to take away the pain the hurt, the suffering that you are probably going through. And so today in Psalm 13, we see a similar picture. A man going through pain and suffering, long extended suffering. Yet we can learn much from the psalm. And by God's grace, I hope this psalm encourages you or it equips you or teaches you good theology so that you too might be able to respond like the psalmist, even in the midst of pain and suffering. Today I've titled my sermon, How Long, O Lord? And I have three points I want to share with you this morning. Point number one is the cry of faith. Point number two, the power of prayer. And point number three, the declaration of trust. And so why don't we jump straight into point number one, the cry of faith. 
So on Tuesday, I decided to take uh, our kids out on what we call a big adventure. And so I got all our three kids together, Lucas, Eleanor, and Nora, and I said to them, look, we're going to go catch a bus because we don't catch a bus normally. We'll get to Paris Station. Once we get to Paris Station, let's catch a ferry. So they're excited. We're going to catch a ferry all the way to Homebush. Uh, we'll get off, have some lunch, go for a little walk up towards the armory where there's a massive playground. We'll play in the playground for a couple of hours catch a ferry back home, go to Para Westfield, and so forth. I got them really excited, and they were pumped to get out and go. And so here we go. We say bye to mom, and we head off into our big adventure. And I kid you not, I am not joking. I think it was probably about 50 meters into our walk, my lovely son, he says to me, Dad, how long before we get to the bus stop? Right? How long? It's already started. But my love for him, for now, I was like, yeah, no, well, you just, we just go down this street. The house is just over there. So we just go down that street and we turn right and the bus stop will be there. So we get there, we get on the bus, and probably about two or three minutes in, Eleanor now says, Dad, how long is this bus ride, right? How long? Like, I mean, I know... You know, for the first 30 seconds of once we got on the bus, it was exciting. But after that, it was like, how long is this going to take? And so I explained to her, probably another five more minutes and we'll get off the bus. And so we get off the bus, we get to the ferry, and we sit down in front waiting for the ferry. And I've told Lucas, the ferry's going to come in about five minutes. So we wait five minutes, he's really patient. And the ferry doesn't come. <laughs> and so Lucas is like... Dad, I thought you said the ferry was coming. How long before the ferry is going to come? Three times already I've heard the words, how long? And I thought it was very timely as I was preparing a sermon on Psalm 13. Three times, how long? And I said to the kids, if I hear how long one more time, so we're going straight back home. Right? And from then on, I did not hear it again. Today, in this passage, we hear a cry. A question from a man possibly and probably in deep despair. This man, King David, is in deep desperation. We see a man in suffering. And his plea at this time isn't, Lord, can you heal me? Lord, give me joy in my suffering or for sustaining grace. Although I do believe he would have prayed that previously. But right now, his prayer is, how long? Read with me again, verse 1 to 2. It says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long is his question? Not just once is this cry, but if you look at the passage Four times he's crying out, How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long? How long? The fourfold repetition of how long only signifies the intensity of his emotions. It's a deep plea and a questioning from someone who probably for a long time have already been asking for a resolution and it hasn't come. Friends, perhaps. You too have been going through something very similar. 
You've been asking the Lord for relief over sickness or perhaps a cry asking, overcoming of certain sins in your life. Perhaps you've been petitioning for quite some time that he might provide for certain necessities in your life. Perhaps questions of relationships that are unresolved or not yet started and asking how long, how long must I keep asking before you would answer God? And yet what we feel or the clear outcome is no response. And you too, perhaps like King David, are in deep, deep despair. Well, what grace from God that we have this passage to know that King David, he's known as a man after God's own heart. It says, you know, that he would, and it's great to know that someone with a relationship with God that deep is also having the same feelings like this. So that we too might be able to respond in a similar manner and be encouraged by it. Here's a couple of things we can learn from the first two verses of King David's cry and question. You know, his questions are questions directed to the one who is sovereign over all things. He knows what's going on. He knows your struggle. How do we know this from the first verse? Well, look at it. It says, how long, O Lord? Now, don't take this lightly. That Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it holds significant meaning for David, and not just for David, but it must for us as well. Why? Well, here's the most basic yet pivotal fact of the name of the Lord. The first reference of the Lord, it's found in Exodus chapter 3, where God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush and giving him the mission to free the people of Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Moses, understandably, he has concerns. He has concerns of how he's going to convince the people of Israel that God had sent him. And so in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, this is, how, this is what God says to Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has, I am has sent me to you. You see, the translation of this I am is Yahweh. And in English, we see it as capital L-O-R-D. And so as David calls out in his deep suffering, how long, O Lord, he is reminded of this pivotal fact that God, the I am, he is sovereign over all things. He existed even before time. He was present and is present right now in your sufferings. Well, why does that even matter? It matters because his questions, you can see, are questions of God's sovereignty, his visibility or presence. You know, he's asking God, are you there? Are you listening? Have you forgotten me? Have you hidden your face from me? You know, why am I counseling myself? Aren't you going to answer me and counsel me? We ask these questions because at times we do feel like we are alone in this struggle. 
But King David, as he asks these questions, let's not be mistaken. He knows that God is sovereign. He knows that God exists. He knows of the Lord, the God who brought, brought, brought his people out of Egypt, the one who hears the cries of his people, the one who saved them out of exile, the one that is sovereign and exists. And so King David, as he cries out, he undergirds his questions with a cry of truth. We must remember who we are calling out to in our suffering. When we are in deep despair, remember who you're crying, up to, crying out to. The great I am, Yahweh, the Lord who exists, who is sovereign, who will never, ever forsake us nor leave us when it feels that way to us sometimes. If you look at these questions carefully, there are three elements to the cry or the question. And I wonder if you can relate to any of these. Firstly, there's a vertical element to this question. He says, how long will you, God, forget me forever? Meaning, how long will you continually or ongoingly be absent in my life? He's calling out to this vertical relationship with God. And in verse 2, he again says, how long will you hide your face from me? Meaning, how long will you seize your blessings in my life? How long? He's crying out because in this hardship, he feels a severance, a cut, a distance in this vertical relationship with the God that is sovereign and exists. Can you relate to this in your suffering? And probably when you get to a stage where you're calling out to God and there's no answer, you start to counsel yourself, which is the second element. The first one was the vertical. Second one, the personal element. But counselling yourself, take, talking to yourself is not a bad thing to do. In fact, I would recommend that you counsel yourself at times. But in the context of this psalm today, when the suffering is long, when the suffering gets too hard to handle, your counselling leads to sorrow and despair like we see in verse 2. You know, it's also like the story of Job, Right? The first couple of hardships in, its, in his life, it's difficult. It's hard. But as more hardship hits him, and as he experiences the delay of God answering him, he counsels himself like this in Job chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He was counseling his own soul, leaving him in deep sorrow, and that's what we see in Psalm 13. Can you relate to that in your suffering? Deep sorrow and despair. And so as you call out to God vertically, he doesn't respond. Your own counsel personally leads to sorrow. And the third element is horizontal. Other people see it. And in the text, it talks about enemies. They start talking into your life. They mock you or laugh at you. They exalt over you. And that crushes you even more. Yeah, maybe for you, you don't have a physical enemy, but we all have an enemy, Satan, who will use external means to lie and sow deceit and despair in your suffering. Friends, do any or all of these three elements relate to you? For most of you, probably. And have you ever asked similar questions like this? 
in your suffering? I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered in your prayer whether even if asking these questions is even a Christian thing? You know, am I grumbling right now? Because the last time the Israelites grumbled, they died, right? Is King David grumbling here? No, he's not. This is not a grumbling moment about God, but rather it's a deep, sincere cry out to God for help. It's not grumble. Friends, if you can relate to any of those questions from King David, what a blessing it is that even though King David wrote this text, actually, actually the greater blessing is that God ordained it to be written and recorded and preserved in the Bible as words for us to be encouraged by it today. These are very words from God given to us today so that we can relate to it. So let me encourage you. If you are crying out, questioning to the great I am, capital L-O-R-D, like this or similar, then I want to encourage you, keep going. Keep going. Because this is not grumbling. You know what it's called? It's called faith. Faith. It's called faith because we bring all our questions, whether vertical, personal, or horizontal. And it's called faith because we bring these questions to the Lord because only he can rescue us from our suffering. These questions are questions of faith in God. God in his grace is reminding us that we need to put our faith in him regardless, regardless of how long our suffering takes because only he can rescue us. Friends, that is called faith in God. Friends, in your suffering, in the pain that you are currently going through, where have you placed your faith? Who do you go to? What do you go to? Where do you go to? In the greatest despair and suffering, when you're down at the lowest you've ever been, when you feel like there is no hope, when it seems like you're going alone in this suffering, where are you turning to? Are you turning to God like King David? Or have you put your faith in elsewhere? Because if you're putting your faith in something else, that means you're not putting your faith in God. We need to have a good theology to suffer well. Have you placed your faith in God in the midst of your suffering, regardless, regardless of how long? Point number two we see the power of prayer. You know, what we see from verse 1 to 2 is a man in deep despair, right? But if we skip all the way down to verse 6, the last verse, this man in despair is somehow all of a sudden singing praises to God. You know, how does a person go from deep suffering and sorrow, transition all of a sudden to high praise, rejoicing, singing of praises to the Lord? After much meditation on this passage and deliberating on the text, most definitely by the divine illumination from the Holy Spirit, I believe I know the answer to how this is achieved. So listen up. You're going to be blown away. For all of you experiencing some sort of suffering, how do you go from sorrow to joy? Listen carefully. It's prayer. It's prayer. Are you surprised? 
Were you expecting something else by any chance? It's prayer. Friends, by God's grace, we are pointed towards prayer at our times of long-suffering. Let's see what we can learn from David here. Let's reread from verse 3 to 5. It says this, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You see, in verse 3, we see a man in prayer, in supplication. His supplication is for three things directly related to the questions asked in verse 2. As he feels abandoned by God, forgotten by God, he asks God, God, that you would consider him, consider me. And actually, in all the commentaries I read for this verse, consider is defined as look. God, look at me. Please look back at me, he's asking. And as he feels there's no response from God leading to a counsel of self and deep sorrow, he prays, God, that you might answer me. If I keep counseling myself, I will die. I need you to answer. I need you to respond to me. And as he feels the enemies and the circumstances around pushing hard within, his eyes are closing towards what he feels is death. He asks God, God, that you might lighten up my eyes. Lighten up my eyes. Or to preserve him to restore him to full physical health or spiritual health, to give him the breath of life. Friends, these prayers of supplication are prayers that directly relate to the suffering he is going through. But above all that, I want to point out that these prayers are not only prayers of healing from suffering, but rather prayers of wanting God. He wants more of God. God's presence, that's priority for King David. So friends, what are you praying for in your deep suffering? Is it just healing? That these sufferings that you are going through might go away? Or is it, God, even if this suffering remains within me forever, my greatest want, my greatest need is you, God. In our suffering, Satan really likes to have a go at us. He does. But Satan's main aim isn't to produce more hurt. Rather, his aim is to deceive you in your suffering, to say that God is not trustworthy, that he doesn't love, to cause us to think that God, he doesn't listen. That's his aim. It's not pain. It's the separation from God. Friends, we need to be praying, but our prayers need to be saturated with a heart that is in deep desperation, deep need of God in our suffering. Understandably, though, when we're doing great, we, we struggle to pray, right? Even when we're doing great. How much more would we struggle to pray when we're in long suffering? It's understandable. You know, these are the times when our suffering, the pain, the burdens are too great that we can't even find the right words to say, right? 
But Romans 8.26 encourages us this way. It says this, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The groanings of our Spirit-filled heart is the very groaning of the Spirit which God himself, he understands. This is what the Spirit is doing. And this intercession by the Spirit is able to articulate our groanings with words that we can't, but He, God, understands. The Spirit will intercede with words that are deeper than what hurts. And His words are brighter than what is dark in your life and your suffering. Isn't, isn't that a wonderful and most amazing promise? You know, when even though we don't know what to say, when our prayers, within our prayers, the Spirit intercedes for us. He helps us in our prayers. He helps us to pray prayers which aren't just about suffering, but about wanting more of God. Friends, today, if you're going through prolonged hardship, pray. Go and tell your troubles to God. Pray. Tell him exactly how you feel, not grumbling, but in desperate plea. And knowing that as you pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede with you, giving you prayers that direct your heart for more of God in your life. And friend, once you've done that, once you've prayed, get up. Leave it with God who hears your prayers. Honestly, we can't do anything to get rid of our suffering anyway other than to give it to God. And as you do, like King David, you too will start to see a transition from deep despair and sorrow to joys of praise and singing. Which leads me to point number three, the declaration of trust. Read with me verse five and six. It says this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You know, amazing things happen when we pray. Amazing things happen. For King David, he begins to declare his trust in God. And there's this overflow of joy and rejoicing that arises in his heart. You know, King David, regardless of the circumstance he is in, he is able to trust God. And he declares his trust because he knows of God's love displayed through salvation. He looks at his life, a sinful man, deserving of death, remembers that actually, actually, I may be in a bit of a rut in my suffering, but God has saved me. He's redeemed me from the pits of sin and death and saved me. Actually, he has dealt bountifully with me. As Christians, as you think through seriously the evil and suffering that occurs all around the world, one core reason, one paramount reason we know that God is to be trusted is because he sent his own beloved son, Jesus Christ, to suffer. Cruelty on our behalf. You know, in the darkest nights of our suffering, our long-suffering, Christians have something to hold on to. We know Christ crucified. We know Christ crucified. 
Christians have learned that when there seems to be no evidence of God's presence, when God seems so distant and far away, when it seems like God is not answering, when we are in deep sorrow and despair, Christians can always look to one thing. Christians cannot escape the cross of Christ. Romans 8, 31 to 39 puts it like this. And as I read this passage, friends, perhaps think of a suffering or a a long suffering that you are going through or have gone through. Romans 8, 31 to 39, it says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let that sink in. If we ever wonder if God is there, remember this, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If we ever contemplate God's love for us in our suffering, remember this. The Holy Spirit, he convicts us in our prayers and reminds us that in amongst our ongoing, long tribulation, distress, persecution, suffering, you put in your suffering, we have a God who is for us and has showed us through giving us his son, Jesus. He did not spare his own son. King David, too, was joyful. He rejoiced and sung because of the salvation he, too, received. And for us, we, too, have this salvation for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. What we must hold on to is going back to the cross of Christ. What we need is to trust in the steadfast love of God shown through us through Jesus Christ. Our suffering and pain may never go away, but our sins and our consequences of our sins, which result in eternal condemnation, that has been wiped clean. That has been eliminated. And instead of being in the pits of doom, We are crowned, friends, with the righteousness of Christ. And we can be sure of God's loving and sovereign hand over our life and in our suffering. And King David, looking at the current circumstances of his life, is now full of joy. Full of joy. He's singing to the Lord because the greatest news for him and for any of us 
is that we who were once lost is now found. We who was once dead in our sins, now redeemed. You have been bought with a price. Friends, by no means am I trying to undermine the pain and the hurt you are going, possibly going through in your suffering. Because it's hard. It's definitely hard. But what I want to point you to in that hardship is the love of Christ in your life. Because he knows your suffering. He went through suffering. You know, Jesus, he faced betrayal. He faced mockery. He faced torture at the hands of his enemies. All his truest friends, they all abandoned him. When Jesus' life was most painful, more painful than our sufferings could ever be, for Jesus, he had to go it alone. The night he was betrayed, he took three of his, probably his most favorite disciples, perhaps, Peter, James, and John. He took them up to Mount Gethsemane. So at least these three disciples might pray with him and comfort him for the death to come. And in Matthew 26, verse 38, Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Can you see that? Jesus too, he was sorrowful. Like what we read in Psalm 13, being in sorrow, close to death. Jesus is feeling sorrowful even to death. He sought comfort from his friends, yet yet they failed him by falling asleep in his time of need and then abandoning him when he was arrested. Jesus was left alone to face the pain and suffering. Does this sound like the experience of the psalmist? But not only this, while praying in Luke 22 verse 44, it says this, and Jesus Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Can you see what Jesus is doing? Intense prayers of supplication, pleading to God, asking that God might remove this cup from him. Loud cries and tears to the great I am, the Yahweh, the Lord, his Father, his cries, his tears. Friends, Jesus was heard by God the Father, definitely. The Father could save him from death, yet instead of saving him from the pain and suffering, the long suffering he would have to endure, instead God chose that Jesus would walk the road to Calvary. And on that cross, he experiences the greatest pain, the greatest suffering. Yes, the physical nails through the hands and feet would have been excruciating, but the greatest pain that he endured was the pain of the wrath of God, the separation from God. Matthew 27, 46 says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus says on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? Church, isn't this astounding? God's beloved son, whom he is well pleased with, he was forsaken. He was abandoned on the cross and left alone. The hurt of being abandoned by your friends is one thing, but to be abandoned by God the Father, that's another thing. That's what Jesus went through. 
That's what Jesus went through. And so as we return to Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? In the midst of our pain and our suffering, when we feel alone as though God is not there, be strengthened in your soul, knowing that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who was left alone. He was forsaken so that we might never, ever be forsaken. And so to close the sermon, like King David, friends, in your suffering, put your trust in the steadfast love of God, the love that was shown to us through Jesus Christ, who knows what you're going through, the cross that he endured so that we would be redeemed. Never, ever, ever look away from the cross. Each day in your suffering, gaze back at the cross, for he has dealt bountifully with you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your words in Psalm 13. Father, we thank you that on the cross, as Jesus died, Lord, the wrath that was meant to be poured on us, oh Lord, you satisfied it, so that we might never be forsaken And so, Lord, in our long suffering, in the sufferings that we may be going through right now, or in the sufferings that is to come, oh, Lord, help us never, ever, ever to turn away from the cross, but help us to run even closer to you, oh, Lord. Help us to gaze at the cross of Christ each day and be strengthened by you, oh, Lord, each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.